the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. A step further, by definition, a person with the paranormal ability to apprehend the mental or emotional state of another individual. You have empathy, and you have what it means via definition to be an empath. One is a well-known emotion-based receptor, while the other is a bit more of a rabbit hole. A rabbit hole that I would like to go down with you all today. Here we are again, and how happy I am we are. Welcome to the Shatter and Breathe Podcast, Episode 3. I am Sean, and if you're here for the first time, it's a pleasure to have you. If you're coming back for more, I appreciate your support. Before we get into the thick of it, I just uh, I just want to say how quick I just want to say quickly how much I appreciate the feedback, the comments, the reviews. We've got two episodes under our belt, and I'm very happy with the state of the podcast as of right now. Plus, relaunching my shop as well has me very excited. As the program grows and finds more ears and hearts to take it in, then it'll get even better. I sincerely thank you all, though, for the support. Remember to make sure you're always up to date with what's happening. Check out the link tree. Follow Shatter and Breathe on Facebook for the most up-to-date information. I'm very excited for this one. Feel as if I've kept tiptoeing around the subject in an attempt not to veer off topic too much in the previous two episodes. This is all still a work in progress as we've not exactly tapped into the close to perfect flow of how things need to work. However, with each week I feel we're closer. I also apologize for missing last week. I'm going to try to do that as little as possible if I ever have to. Um, a little under the weather, so I I just I didn't feel comfortable putting out what I would have put out if I would have went ahead with it. So if it's between me putting up some subpar, rushed piece that I don't even feel like doing at the moment, you you don't deserve that. As somebody who actually gives me their time every week, who comes to this podcast and listens because you want to, you deserve better than that. So I do apologize for missing last week, and I'm going to try not to do that for a long time again. Unfortunately, we never know what's going on in the world. Sometimes things happen, but I'm trying not to make it a habit, I promise. So... Thank you all for coming back this week, and I'm again, I am sorry that it had to be extended a week, but we are back. First, I'd like to recap a bit of what I touched on in the previous two episodes. In episode one, it was touching on my early tendencies of falling easy. I have a big heart, and I love sharing it. It also touched on me saying how I could feel somebody getting emotional. To attempt to describe it, it's... It's like how you can tell a storm's coming. You can feel the air shift. You can see the sky darken. Your body can sense a change in atmosphere. That's sort of what I mean when I say I felt somebody get emotional. In episode 2, it was touching on my short fuse and mood swings. Diving a bit into my temper and looking back at what could have caused it. How a child with such great family and so much love could develop such a bad war with anger. Looking back on that episode, I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. The event that took place that I'm uh, about to mention vaguely, 
the years following are one of the most turbulent time periods of any child who becomes a teenager and forms into who they're going to be as an adult. I also think it has a lot to do with genetics. My dad, who I love dearly, and he loves and is protective of us, has a very bad temper. My grandfather, his dad, had a bad temper. Both amazing men who I look up to and have felt such intense love from also have this fiery temper. Honestly, that entire side of my family has that fire in them, so I take that into account as well. So looking back, I'm not really all that surprised. Let's get into the topic at hand, though, for this week. When I was eight, my family and I had our world turned upside down. It's not possible for me to cover that as well as the topic for today within one hour, so that's going to be an episode for next week, which will be a two-parter for episode three, sorry, episode four and five. We're going to kind of dive into that subject matter. That being said, though, as I look back on my early stages of elevated emotions and sensitivities, I honestly can't remember having them before this life-changing situation happened. Not sure, I was eight. How much can we really remember when we're that young in clear detail? I do remember a good bit. I have memories, although very vague, from when I was about three and four and up. Maybe younger. Everybody will relate to that differently, but I do have pockets of memories from early life and from what I'm able to tap into, I don't remember having much of any abnormal emotions. The only thing I can think of is that did make me feel a bit different was that I had a hard time with the letter R. I had to do speech therapy from preschool to sixth grade because of it. I was a tiny little Elmer Fudd, so there would be times where that would make me feel insecure. Uh, the word that turned my impediment around and got me on the right track was rabbit. More specifically, rabbit. A little growl never hurts anybody, but um, not to not specific to what my situation was. Let's take that out of the equation, as this is a conversation. I hope that most of us can take something from it. Going through any traumatic event or situation in life will affect people differently. It can change the way you think the way you move, the way you view life. When it's at an early age, it will oftentimes cause you to mature faster or understand quote-unquote seriousness quicker. Something that I feel may often go left unattended, however, especially when there's a trauma that's physical, is just how much it can affect your emotions. Scars always run deeper than they appear, and oftentimes... We never know we're in pain until the moment wears off and we're left with a reminder. Through this time, I had a wave of love, concern, support, affection, and I saw so much of it through my young eyes. I heard words of comfort, hope, and positive outlook in situations that may seem frightening, especially to a child who doesn't know exactly what's going on. I also could see faces in a way I never saw before. I didn't just see people's faces. I started seeing conflicting emotions. Sad eyes on top of supportive smiles. Worried gestures on the faces of comforting heroes. 
I heard whispers where the smiles would slowly fade, and they were to return when they spoke where they felt I could hear them. I could see the emotion, and it didn't take long at all before I could start feeling it, like really feeling it. Over the years, that only got stronger. Feeling emotions became almost like an unspoken second language to me, a literal sign language. Despite having this unusual observational sensation for a while after, it still felt weird to me. What also seemed to come along with reading emotions, though, was the inability to control my own emotions very well. For example, crushes I'd get as a kid would be strong. I'd feel this warmness towards these girls, often multiple, oftentimes multiple girls, but was too young to process how to handle it. Most of us are raised on the principle of monogamous love, so I'm getting all these strong feelings so quickly and with different girls, so I'm unsure how to handle any of it. I honestly think sometimes the fact I did feel so much with so many is why I have this sensation of constant limitation. Even at 9 and up through my teenage years and early 20s, even with having this strong sense of adorations, I always felt like if I'd engage, it would just be taken away somehow, as most of us do. When we become teenagers and start finding our insecurities that only get worse. I only ever had one legitimate girlfriend. When we had gotten to know each other, I had got the courage to ask her out, and we were together for 11 months. Before and after that, though, there were a few who I'd find interest in, but... They would rather be with my friend, so I also, so I was also hindered by this feeling of always being overlooked, to which I'd sadly placed towards the assumption of others and feel like it wouldn't even be worth trying. These years of bad insecurity meshed into my years of better understanding myself and what I had to offer. My insecurities are still bad, but I also know for a fact I'm somebody that someone would be lucky to have. I'm not conceited, I'm not saying I'm the best man around, I'm not better than your husband, your fiance, your boyfriend, just because I'm me, I know the love I have and will give. It just took many years of feeling less than before I understood that. Over the years I've felt affection, love, desire, intense emotion from some wonderful women who I would have missed out on if things had gone differently, so... I really don't see my years of staying single as a mistake. I feel it's just how I was meant to develop. I believe all of that was also why I developed such a strong sensation of jealousy. Feeling like you'll never be good as your friend will do that to you, I suppose. However, like every other emotion, that too evolved. After many years, I realized that my jealousy wasn't so much me wanting what others have as it was me wanting what I feel is mine. When I was young, my raw emotions would have me believing they felt a way they may not have, so I would automatically get a jealous vibe for a non-present situation. I realized that once I tamed my emotions more, that I'm more territorial than jealous. I don't mean that in a stereotypical misogynistic way either, as if a woman belongs to me just because we're together. I mean it in a sense of 
consensual understanding that I see you as you claim to be. If we're together, I see you as mine, I'm yours, and I fully expect you to treat the situation as that. My biggest must in a relationship is healthy communication, and my biggest role is don't have me looking stupid. If you claim to be mine, I will claim you and be protective. That's just how I am. Away from the love and adoration, my anger was another hard hurdle, as I talked about last week. My temper got so bad that if I got upset, I'd work myself up so much that sometimes I'd start sweating and crying. My face would get so red. Still does, actually, sometimes. I'm not a... I'm not a super bashful person. I can be, but nothing crazy, however. I will blush sometimes for reasons I don't know. People would tell me my face is red like I'm embarrassed or something, and I'm not. However, then, of course, with my face being red and people looking at me, I end up getting anxious, and my face will get redder, and... I... I just can't win there. <laughs> Back to what I was saying, though, I'd get so worked up. I'd be in a rage and would have to be told to calm down, which would make me even madder. And, well, you know how that goes. It's why I formed the habit of quietness and seclusion. My temper is horrible. It's still horrible. I just refuse to, I, I just refuse to unleash it on those not deserving. Around the age of... 14, 15, I fell into my first bad period of depression. I was taking in all these emotions and feelings, and I was not aware or knowledgeable of how to exhaust them properly, so everything was just being held in. Like a balloon just filling and filling with air, and any minute it feels like you're about to pop. Part of it was tied in as an aftershock effect from the issues I had at 8 surfacing. I had also lost my grandmother shortly before this, which had really hit me hard. Everything alongside the normal teenage works of puberty and hormones was all just happening, and I felt absolutely crushed by it all. So, there was about a five to six year span of this rapid emotional development. Around the end of this time frame, I started going to counseling for what would later be diagnosed as social anxiety. I never want to see anybody. I, I never went to see anybody for my depression. I've always seemed to try and tackle that myself, but through talking to my counselor, who I mentioned in the last episode, I would take what we talked about and apply some of it to that as well. When my first counselor moved out of state, I got switched to another one who was being trained by him. Nothing against him personally, but there was no connection. I could tell he was somewhere else. Maybe he was. Nervous being on his own with clients, or maybe he just got a degree and wasn't the right fit. Honestly, I have no place to judge him. That's just what I thought maybe had been wrong. Either way, I didn't like talking to him. In all honesty, compared to how wonderful Dr. Conti was with me, he had a big chair to fill when he just didn't do it. I certainly hope that if he stayed in the field of counseling that he, that he found his stride and enjoys what he does along with any clients he may have. After that, though, I switched over to another counseling center where it was so awful and pointless that I would 
instead of getting help with my anxiety, I would ask questions to help with my depression about make without making it obvious. Not that it was helpful, but I, I was wanting to feel better. <clears throat> the reason I started therapy for my anxiety was because I had walked away from school one day in 8th grade. I woke up, wasn't feeling well like usual, got on the bus, and I went to school. I believe about two weeks prior to this, I had actually lost strength and had to kneel down while walking to the bus stop. I didn't collapse, but I got overwhelmed and my knees were buckling, so my sister walked me back home. But on the day I'm talking about, I get to school and I get to my homeroom. I'm sitting there while my teacher takes attendance, and I'm just really quiet, wishing I was anywhere else. The bell rang for us to go to first period, and my homeroom was in a portable outside. I left the room, and I walked down the sidewalk really slow, and I just stepped off the side and walked away. <laughs> I walked for miles. I was trying to walk home, and I didn't care how far I had to go. I didn't want to be there, and I just tried to go home. After a few miles of walking and starting to feel lost, I found an area where it was familiar. I went to a convenience store I knew about. They didn't have a payphone anymore and I was too anxious to have to ask to use the phone. So I leave and try to head for my aunt and uncle who lived near there, but I went the wrong way. Luckily, while I was walking, I see a school bus parked in the yard. At first I was nervous as I tried so hard not to be seen leaving the junior high as well as walking past the nearby elementary school that I may have been caught by a bus driver and sent back. I say luckily though because it was actually my bus driver. This wonderful woman named Brenda who I always liked and had liked me and my sister. I passed her house once and then I got lost again so I walk back and I'm trying to work up the ability to knock on her door and out of nowhere I hear... You playing hooky? And I see her yelling through the door, and I'm like, not exactly. <laughs> she came outside, and I walked up to her porch, and she knew something was bothering me, and was wrong. And she let me call my mom, and she even took me home herself. So, things work out sometimes in ways you're not going to expect. I'm certainly thankful that things happened how they happened that day. Because things could have gone so much worse. Sorry, I went off on a different trail there, but that was just a significant part of my life. I may expand that whole situation down the road. Pun intended. Uh, the year before this happened, and the year itself, I was missing a lot of days. Because I'd get sick every morning. I'd be up the night before school sick over the thought of going. I couldn't sleep because I was just tossing and turning, not wanting to, the morning to come. I was not wanting the morning to come. It's weird because my seventh grade year was one of my funnest years I had in school. I had mostly good teachers. I had some friends I enjoyed talking to. I was a class clown in my last class of the day. A big part of that reason was because I knew after it was over, I'm going home. It was... So bipolar, though, because it was also torturous sometimes. Lunchtime was fun. When there was talking, it would be fun. 
When it's when it got quiet is when I hated it the most. I would fidget in my seat, my stomach would growl, and I'd be a heavier kid. So I'd get embarrassed because everyone else in my mind is probably thinking I'm hungry. When in reality, my stomach is just upset. I'm feeling sick. I start sweating, hoping nobody asked me why my stomach was making noises or why I'm sweating so much and why they, w and when they would, it would just get worse. I've worn glasses since I was young, so my glasses would fog up. My anxiety would get so bad in school that I remember walking a hall one day. An older student was walking the opposite way and elbowed me right in the face. He didn't do it on purpose, but he didn't care it happened either, and all I did was kept walking. Like, I knocked my glasses off my face, so I'm walking a little faster, my face is burning up, and I'm just hoping nobody saw it happen, and, and went into the bathroom as soon as I could. I can't help but wonder if my struggle with school had to do with early stages of me not liking a lot of noise in that sort of environment. I'd be dealing with my issues, trying to learn what I'm being taught, but also I would be picking up so many vibes from people. Teachers especially. My science teacher was mostly negative energy. You'd walk in and see him sitting at his desk and I could just feel the misery and the annoyance. My math teacher, and I actually loved math as a subject, was always giving me these conceited signals. She didn't like me because I was missing so many days and my grades were lacking, but my grades were lacking and I was missing so many days because this place was making me sick. My English teacher was so warm. English was my favorite. English was my least favorite subject, but my teacher was actually a soothing presence for me. My reading teacher, my last class of three of my weekdays, I loved him. He was such an amazing teacher. He was so kind. I think that's why when I did have good moments in his class, there was always highlighted because his energy was so wonderful. He'd shake his head at me, but then smile right after. Walking the halls, though, sitting in a silent room full of other people, picking up so many vibes at once, I think I honestly was just getting so overwhelmed by that. I ended up being homebound taught and started therapy. Through our conversations, I found some insight on understanding those around us. For example, he would explain to me how... When we feel as if the entire room is looking at us, think about the possibility that in reality, they're doing the same thing, thinking we're all looking at them. He brought logic into a world I was stuck in that consisted only of wonder and fear. He helped pull me out of my own box. He'd help paint a picture of the class for me, mentally placing me at my desk and in a situation that I would feel anxiety creep in, but while simultaneously talking to me to remind me I was still in the room with him. It was a calming exercise of being in that environment, in my head, and being calm enough to really observe it from a new, safer place. To use a metaphor, the feeling was this if you were lowered in the ocean with an open wound and you start thinking you see sharks swimming towards you. Through therapy with Dr. Conti, it was now I looked at it as they're not sharks and I'm not bleeding, but in fact, perhaps the, perhaps we're all bleeding, 
and the water is so stained that everyone's outline made it seem like we're surrounded by sharks. Social anxiety is sort of like the astigmatism of mentality. Like driving at night will make a 12-inch red light seem as if it's a blurry sun blinding you, the same way having a coughing fit in the middle of a classroom will have you thinking the entire class is surrounding you staring. Taking everything into account, the anxiety mixed with the vibes, energies, and emotions of those around me and my own, it makes a little more sense now to notice how what I'm feeling in the present has been there since early days of when I first started feeling this change in observation. It seems to have stemmed from there and has only bloomed over the last 22 years, spanning from what I notice, how I process, and how I react. Sometimes I look back at interactions with people, people who I may have bad feelings about, noticing that what I may have perceived as somebody who wasn't good was just me picking up on a vibe that didn't sink fully with me. A good person, but just not a good connection as I'd have with somebody else. Interestingly enough, the ones who come to mind who I felt that way with I ended up getting very close, however, we'd fall out eventually. Not always hard feelings, just life and direction. Then in comparison, I looked at people who I didn't get those vibes off of, and I still thankfully have them in my life. That's just the t off the top of my head, though. I know there's been some I've gotten those off vibes with who are no longer in my life, but nothing's ever 100% in this 99 at best world. It's as much it's as much understanding myself as it is analyzing my choices and feelings and being willing to admit if I was wrong about how I see somebody, if I take the situation into a much wider context of understanding. Through those struggles I eventually found some clarity. When we take advantage of our memory, we can use it to implement more understanding in turn becoming a better version of ourselves, or a more toned version of ourselves. As much as we can look back on our diets and activity and use it to see flaws and find changes for our bodies, we can apply the same math and study into our minds. Using our past is the closest organic way to think outside our own box because who we were last year, five years, 10 years and beyond, we're no longer that person. We're no longer in those situations for the most part. Now that I've gone over some of what led me to where I am today, about two, about two years ago or so, I was introduced to a Facebook page called Empaths, Old Souls, and Introverts. I also knew two people around the same time who also would bring up the term empath. One, she's a sweet person who would use the word in a way I could understand and relate to. The other, he would speak of the word and treat it like a superpower and pretend as if he could talk to the dead and speak with aliens. Now, before I go on, if you're listening to this and you feel those same things, I, I don't know you. I don't personally know you, and I'm not judging you or trying to say you can't do something you believe you can do. My great-grandmother was known to have psychic-like attributes. She could see things, 
when she passed, my grandfather could be heard talking to her. And her voice could be heard talking back. My father, who had such a wonderful relationship with her, could go in her room after she had passed away, a room that was always cold and gloomy. He would lay in her bed and feel warmth and comfort. I believe there are layers to awareness and sensations only some can tap into, so I'm not speaking on the claim in general. I'm only talking about this example, this person who I know for a fact is t toxically narcissistic. Between those two people, I had a polar opposite examples of this term. Through the Facebook page, though, I started to see a wide range of people expressing their own journeys and perceptions. There was this healthy mix of people who credited what it is to be an empath to something earthly versus something paranormal. My views of what an empath is is something in between. Empathy is the understanding or relation to the feeling of others. An empath is taken that a step further is to actually feel their emotions. Now at times it's easy to think there could be something paranormal about it. However, when I when I feel or sense something that I could be that could be seen as something beyond normal, I try to look at the alternative. I want to speak about the more paranormal side of the argument first and then And then pull that into my more logical sense of it all. I'm one of those people who say they can feel what somebody says in a text message. When I'm messaging somebody, I can usually tell if they're invested, if they're happy, if they're struggling. It's not 100%, but there's so many occasions where I'll pick up that somebody is feeling a certain way, address it, and then be asked how I knew. I can hear or feel when somebody is smiling over the phone, or through any sort of call. I can hear and feel when they frown. As I've said in the in the first episode, I can feel when somebody gets emotional. I can feel when somebody gets tense, and I can feel when somebody gets happy. Regardless if I am in the same room with them or not, I pick up on certain things. Emotions and vibes, auras, now, that being said, I try and connect the paranormal and make it a little more normal than it seems. I see the traits of being an empath strongly related to the traits of just being hyper-observant. When it comes to text messages, when you invest in a conversation or you really know a person well, you're able to understand their patterns and mannerisms. You get used to the way they talk, the way they type. You internalize that memory, and when you see certain patterns and shifts in presence, you'll pick up on that naturally. It's, it's kind of like how you're able to see a small little spider coming down from your ceiling when you may normally think you have horrible eyes, like you can't see well. Because like, like I said, I wear glasses, so I'm like... I'm struggling sometimes to see, but yet I'll notice this little spider coming down off from the ceiling because it's it's this little thing that's out of the normal. So you notice it, you will be quick to lock on that. 
I feel like it's sort of the same thing. Or at least a similar idea. Now, when it comes to when you're able to sense these things with people you're not as familiar with, then it becomes a bit more abnormal. However, even then, when you're somebody who studies and observes human nature in general, then you may be more likely to have a widened template to these sort of things. It doesn't explain it completely, but it's something we're taking note of. Now when I say I can feel somebody smile, or hear them smile, you could also relate that to knowing a person well or whatnot. However, the same applies to how you're able to do that with strangers. The question I find interesting is, is it crazier to say you can hear somebody smile or that you can feel somebody smile? Hearing somebody smile means you're able to hear their skin lift, their lips widen, their eyes glow. Feeling means you're able to feel all of that. Yes, technology has made it to where mics and speakers are very high quality, but not every moment that's heard in this way is over a high-end microphone. I just find it so interesting and amazing at the same time, not only how we perceive things, but why do we perceive them that way? That's part of what this podcast is all about. I sometimes believe I can also attribute what I feel to the fact that I've almost always been a person who learns by comparison. Metaphors and examples have always been a tool for my interpretation. If I can't understand something, I would do my best to compare it to something and compare it to something I do understand and go from there. It could very much be possible that by doing that, I've programmed myself to do that with every interaction or every situation. When you think about it, we all do. That's exactly what experience is. When you take it to such a higher level, though, concentrated observational development, perhaps it can take your emotional receptors to a higher sensitivity to it all. It wouldn't apply to every branch of this very captivating tree, but it could certainly provide some clarity in some areas. As I've gotten older, it becomes... It's become more difficult to be around loudness. I'm a fan of loud music. That's not what I mean, though. It's, it's, it's hard for me to be around loud people. Sometimes you have to laugh loudly and be loud to make a point. It's so hard to properly explain, but... Some people were just unnecessarily loud and obnoxious. They're not loud because it's warranted. They're loud because they want to be heard. If I feel people are being too loud for no understandable reason, I'll excuse myself from that situation. A lot of people, I'm sure, have heard sensory overload. That's what it is. It's senses getting overwhelmed with intake, so much so that it causes discomfort. Now yes, even the obnoxiously loud have some back layer of passion when they're speaking loudly, so I'll be picking up on that as well as their deafening voice on top of any senses of tenseness in the rumor area. It's, it's so much to take in on top of whatever else may be going on inside my head at the time, and I just have such a hard time handling it. I love peace. I love calm conversation. 
And I honestly do love passionate conversation as well, but it's the outbursts, it's the misplaced vocalization that make me feel overwhelmed. On the flip side of that, I, I get so much more engaged when the passion and the fire of somebody and what they're speaking about is so wonderfully shared. As much as I hate being overwhelmed negatively, I love being overwhelmed positively because when I'm blessed with the chance to not to not only when when I'm blessed with the chance to be not only taken into somebody's world but feel as if I'm gonna ride inside it while they comfort and ease me to where I find sturdy ground, it's something so special. It's why I think introverts are so hungry to find other introverts, because explaining it is never as easy as living it. Like right now, it's so hard to properly explain feelings, but I'm passionate about it. I'm in love with understanding ourselves and others. So like with most things in life, it's very give and take. To go into another pocket, media is where it becomes so evolved. Not news media, we don't talk about news here, but music, television, movies, it's... It is so hard for me to dedicate to a show series because when I watch a show, I connect too much. One of my favorite shows of all time is Breaking Bad. I didn't get to watch it when it ran, but I binge watched it, I believe, in 14, 15. Such an amazing show and such a dark show. Absolutely dark and emotional and deep and... When I watched it, I was in such a depressed state. It wasn't an actual depression as I know where it was coming from, but I got so sluggish and felt so uneasy the entire time I was dedicating time to watching this entire series. It bled into my subconscious and ate at me until I finished it. The same happened with another favorite of mine, Game of Thrones. And there's more, but... It's just why it's hard committing to a series because my emotions get so involved by picking up what they're portraying because they're such incredible actors and the writing is so wonderful. Well, if you disregard the last season and a half of Game of Thrones, <clears throat> that's a whole other story. But movie this, movies are the same way. I'm not ashamed to say I cried watching Forrest Gump and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I cried, man. When Ian sang the Daphne in the movie What a Girl Once, I smiled like a damn fool. I smiled so big my face got warm. I felt that emotion, that emotional high. Not to spoil anything, so if you have never watched Revenge of the Nerds all the way through, I suggest you mute this for the next 10 seconds. But when the Lambda 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 alumni came to stand up for Adams College Trilams, I felt empowered. Alright? I felt like celebrating. <laughs> I was crying during Infinity War and Bohemian Rhapsody, and my heart was fluttering during Pitch Perfect and The Breakfast Club. I got, I got so pulled into the simulation that I can remember getting a panic attack once as a teen while playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas because I had driven to an area where it took forever to me to get back to the city. I somehow managed to feel lost inside a video game I could have simply turned off <laughs> while playing Death Stranding which I still have to finish and I absolutely loved playing I could feel the despair the fatigue the hopelessness there's a 
there's an argument that could be made that these are designed to pull you in, which is obvious enough, but there's something different between being invested into a story and physically being affected by it. As I said before, I really like to write. Sometimes when I write something, I and I pour my heart into it, I'll read it back and start to tear up. It seems at the time a bit conceited, but it's really not. I'm not impressing myself when I read my own words. It's is that I feel such an overwhelming vibe from others. So I feel as if when I read back my own, it's not just me picking up on my own feelings. It's hearing those feelings out loud and causing the realization to turn the sensation up way higher than it is naturally. Part of it is when when we do love ourselves, we don't like to see those we love hurting. And that can be towards ourselves too. The other part is it's it's pulling an image from the canvas I just painted with my heart. When you feel something, when you write something, it's so strong. But when you see something before you, it becomes even more real. At least that's how I interpret it. To veer into more of a mysterious realm of this categorized sense of feeling. Um... I'll sometimes, to use a simple word, sense things before they happen. The best example I can give is something that happened a while back. I'm sitting at my desk. My sister is sitting on a recliner close to it. The phone rings. Now, it wasn't too out of the normal as the phone always rings, but this time it caught my attention. My sister answers it, and as she says hello, a name pops into my head, and I feel this heaviness. As she's speaking, it turned out to be with our grandmother who called, and I could tell it was something serious. She went to have my dad pick the phone up, and when she sat back down, I asked her what happened, and I, as, I, as I knew something was wrong. My sister then tells me that somebody who was a close friend to our dad and well liked by all of us had passed away. The man who passed away was whose name popped into my head. After my sister had said it, I of course was overcome with sadness. We hadn't really seen him or been around him much in a while, however the care, the care was still there. He was a great man and a person who you could count on and I was just sad knowing he was gone. I was sad for my dad, who they had been friends with. They had been friends a long time. I was also very taken aback by the fact that this was one of the most clear signs of something else that I was fully aware of. It was normal to pick up on emotions. It was normal to see the expression change in the person's face or their tone. To see the name of somebody who I hadn't thought of in a while, though as I said, we hadn't been around him in a while, to have his name enter my mind so clearly was different. I've tried to debunk it being paranormal by considering the fact that perhaps I heard my grandmother say his name, but it was so low I didn't actually hear it from her, but my brain did, and that's why it popped up. The problem with that, though, is his name showed up in my head as my sister was simply saying hello, so there was really 
there really wouldn't have been time for my grandmother to have said his name when it happened. I can't really explain how to ground that one. Even still. Another less specific example is I sometimes know when a person is... I sometimes know where a person is going while they're speaking. They'll be talking to me and they'll sometimes get caught up in their words and before they can get it out I'll say it for them or answer their unasked question. I've sometimes known somebody was going to do something before they did it. Sometimes it will be news they're sharing or other t other times actions they'll be doing, perhaps with me being so interested in human nature and mannerisms that I am, I'm, as I said before, just connecting generalized patterns, but I can't help but think it's deeper than that. Do I know for sure? I don't. I don't know for a fact this or that. All that I do know is that I'm intrigued by it. I'm curious about it. I'm interested in it enough that I'm willing to talk about it and analyze myself and others to find answers. During a follow-up appointment with a medical center a few months back, I was talking with somebody who was doing my follow-up. We got to the portion of mental health and as I was comfortable with her, we started to have a nice conversation and the topic of feelings came up and as I was describing something, she looked at me curiously and said, you're very empathetic. To which I responded, yes, to a detriment to myself sometimes, but yeah. She laughed and I could tell she knew exactly what I meant. And so we started talking about it and she recommended a book. A book I'd buy once I got home called The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine N. Aaron, PhD. I haven't read it yet, however. I do intend to when I feel I can dedicate my focus to it. I want to understand myself more. I want to understand what I'm feeling. I want to learn how to better process my emotions, especially my temper and my balancing. I can be so laid back and calm. I can also become so agitated and impatient. I'm just seeking more clarity to better myself. The argument of empath versus observant is where I'm at now. We as human beings have these natural instincts inside us that will often tell us when something isn't right. Who's to say that those instincts can't be improved through focused training in the same way physical strength can? If we weren't meant to grow, we'd stay infants. So. How far-fetched can it be that our instincts can grow if they're properly acknowledged and harnessed? On the other side of the coin, if you're open-minded enough to consider the possibility you're able to read somebody's mind, take that openness and consider the option that perhaps you're reading a person's face and their movements as well as understanding what they're not saying through what they are. I've had plenty of moments where it could be something logical and other moments where I can't make sense of it but that's why I'm so fascinated by it. It also fascinates me when I notice my empathy is absent which also happens. As flawed humans we have these biases, judgments, egos, and attributes of pettiness that sometimes can overlap our empathetic nature and cause our mind to sort of lag out and suddenly 
it's almost like you're in this inner realm of yourself where you're just completely non-uniform to your regular self. This can also go back to patterns and observation and understanding. Sometimes your presumptions can lead you to a very narrow headspace. I'll find myself seeing something or hearing something and I may know the person or at least have noticed pattern behavior and attribute that to their current situation, completely devaluing their current state off past actions, which is the opposite of empathetic. It's more of a state of enmity. It, that's something I'm consciously working on, trying to work through my flaws and trying to work through my flaws I have in order to not cloud myself from understanding or being willing to listen to those who I may not care for on a personal level. I truly feel we learn a lot from those we don't like, and we're doing ourselves a major disservice by not allowing that channel of information into our mental inbox. At the purest point of this being something important to do, you'll sometimes realize that a person you may not have liked a year ago, five months ago, may have grown since then and are worth getting to know now. That's not the case all the time, but you'd be a fool to think it's never the case. I'm still trying to understand it all. I still misread people, whether it's people I don't like, people who I do like, how others feel about me. I think we can all relate to how some days it will feel like you mean the world to somebody, and another day seems like they couldn't care less. That's one reason it plagues such a question. I suppose you could chalk that up the daily tribulations of an empath with anxiety and depression. <laughs> but it, it, you can't help but ask the question sometimes. I'll also get in arguments with people over the dumbest things. I'll see something or hear something I don't agree with or I find annoying and I'll box with myself over say something or not because... I know saying something would do no good, but I'm also very opinionated, and when something's being said that I feel strongly about, I'm inclined to respond. That has gone both well and not so well. At the end of the day, I feel it's best for every single one of us to remember the simple fact that we are human. We're not perfect. We'll never be perfect. Every day is a chance to learn more about ourselves, and if we're lucky, learn more about others too as it's getting late in the episode um, I think a good place to go before before we wrap this up is I find empathy to be such a beautiful piece of perspective attainment when you have it it feels like it's something inside everyone, which it very well could be. I believe it is. Some people, however, can't seem to find it or perhaps just aren't able to understand it. Humanity is a group effort. Communication is the paper, survival is the project, and empathy is the words needed to bring life the poetic literature that makes life so beautiful. One thing I hate to hear people say or read them say is, you don't understand. 
you just don't understand. I do realize that some people will say, I understand, and it may feel as if it's just their attempt to attempt at relatability, but that's not always the case. To believe you're the only one who suffers from a situation is to continue setting yourself up for that same hardship. Hardships have many passengers. It doesn't matter how fast you row. If the entire ship can't accept the fact that everyone's in it together, that hardship isn't going anywhere. I believe every person we meet is like a book. There's bad books, good books, and then there's great books, all of which depends on the person we are and what attracts our mind and our heart. Empathy is the passion to understand that book. Lack of such is the presumption that we know what it's about and have no room in ourselves to take in any more than we already have. I'm not speaking bad of people who have very little empathy. I'm simply telling you that if you don't, that if you identify with that, if you identify with lacking empathy, you're truly missing out because there's some wonderful people out there and there's so much more beyond what they allow you to see. At least at face value. If you relate to this, if you're empathetic and find it hard sometimes to handle your emotions and you feel as if you're just drowning in your feelings, I want you to know you're not drowning. The sand is beneath your feet, the current is just strong, so take a moment to breathe. Look around you, say what it is you see and what it is you can feel and stand tall once again. I've called it a detriment, I've called it a burden. But it's such a beautiful gift that we're all able to receive and I'm so very thankful for the path I've been given that has allowed me to embrace it. Something that makes me happy is being able to help others. And if I wasn't able to do that, I'd feel more lost than ever. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a good place to cap this one off. I really hope all of you who are listening got as much out of this as I have. I'm not claiming to teach anybody anything. I have no degrees and I have no credentials. But what I do have are 30 years of life that have molded me, designed me, and have brought me to where I am right here, right now. And that's talking to you. And I'm very thankful for that. This podcast isn't me, the teacher, and you, the student. I don't know it all. I'll never claim to. I'm just relaying my experiences and hoping that can provide some either clarity or a path towards more adventurous understanding. This is a classroom. We're all the students and we're just trying to teach ourselves the best we can. Thank you all so very much for being here, staying till the end, and I honestly look forward to being right here back with you again next Friday. These three episodes and... Next week's will all be on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, Podbean for sure. Episode 4, I'll evaluate if there's enough listening through that avenue to start funding it. I think there's a good chance of that happening. Thank you for bearing with me and my voice through this one. <laughs> Again, I do apologize. This was a week later than it should have been, but... um. 
things happen how they happen and perhaps it was for a reason maybe somebody was getting to watch this week's episode that they might have missed last week and they could maybe they wouldn't have went back and they would have never heard this so perhaps that got delayed a week for a reason I'm not aware of but either way I'm glad you're here now and I thank you for sticking with me so I pray the rest of your day is as wonderful as you are this is the Shatter and Breathe podcast. I am Sean, and until next time, be safe, be thankful, and God bless.